right. Welcome everyone to our pre-Groundhog Day FSM PRC meeting. So I'd like to call to order our February 1st Facility Standards Manual Public Review Committee meeting. No members are participating remotely and committee members disclose that they are members of one or more affected groups and their respective declarations of interest are kept on file in the minutes of the Facility Standards Manual Public Review Committee. We are kicked off in the government. I sent out another copy of the declaration form. If you haven't filled that out, please do so as soon as possible. Or you want to jump into administrative items? We don't have anybody signed up for a public comment, uh, but in terms of the appointments, that's the public work. So if you get a chance to say hello, we have some audio issues, but if you could just kind of introduce yourself and tell us the name of Yeah, my name is Rich Dem, General Manager for Brown Communities Community Association. I've lived in Loudoun County since 1995, originally moving to South Riding and working for South Riding for about 10 years as their ops manager and then assistant general manager there. Um, still live in uh, Loudoun County, moved over to Brambleton and shortly after actually started working for Brambleton uh, when, the, when the South Riding developers went over to Brambleton. I followed shortly after, so I shut down. Um, and, at Brambleton for the past seven years, working as the general manager of Pets. Um, also volunteered on the Parks and Rec Committee. Went into that um, through Janet Clark here to go, and then on the Tony Buffington, and uh, was a volunteer firefighter with Pull uh, Fire Rescue back when I first moved in in '95. You're a busy guy. Yeah, a long span of time. We'll be here really day. Oh, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And so, in terms of appointments updates, I also wanted to note that Karen Moreland um, resigned. She was a recent appointee. She said that at the pending meeting, she realized that she would not commit the time and attention that the position would require, and that she was already volunteering in several other ways that I wanted to. So that opened up a seat on the uh, committee. We currently have 13 members, two vacant seats. So we have a max of 15. Uh, John Lovegrove is expected to be confirmed at the February 6th board business meeting. And there's another applicant um, who has applied uh, who may be nominated at that meeting. So we might get up to our 15 seats rather quickly here in the near term. So that is it for appointments update. I did want to share with the committee, I want to pull up a street acceptance tech memo. I did distribute this. There are some minor updates. We want to share that with you. And we have John Leffler, who is our infrastructure compliance team program manager on the call. He's calling into the meeting. So if we have questions, he should be able to address them. But there's a couple reasons we're doing this. They're pretty minor. What precipitated this was we have a new director and <laughs> we wanted to update the, all of the sample letters so that they would now be addressed to Betsy uh, as opposed to the former director. 
So that was the beginning. And then we realized there were a couple updates we needed for um, due to landmark. So with the launch of landmark, where people go for bond, they need to get their power status update form, and they need to access that completed form. We had sent people into Lola to get that. That link no longer works. So we did update that link. Um, and then we took the opportunity to update the sample of roadway exhibit. Uh, what was happening here, just, just a, you could tell it was an exhibit that had been copied over and over and over again over the years. So we just didn't have the clarity that we wanted. So just provided a clearer sample exhibit that was also in the packet. And then um, we needed to update the street acceptance and package checklist uh, for how to provide digital files. So there are options. You can upload the digital documents to the people file or landmark, or it's possible to still provide them. This is honest. DVD or PDF? DVD, is that what I said? DVD. Got to the checklist faster. There it is. <laughs> um, yes. Or so if you, if you don't upload them in the PMON file landmark, you can provide them on CD, DVD, and PDF format that was existing in Christ. So those were the updates that we were planning to issue um, in February. Betsy would issue them, but we wanted to let you all know before we did it that those those were the reasons. Uh, we would be sending out our advice uh, street So, does uh, anybody have any questions about this? Any concerns? Anything we want to ask Or are we all okay with these changes? One question. Yeah. I mean, I imagine most people are going to upload those documents, but what can we not send a thumb drive? I don't know where I could find it's CD right or anything. I understand that we can get thumb drive for county policy. Don, do you know more about that? Can you enlighten us more? Yeah, our, our DIT policy is very strict about taking external thumb drives and uh, and using them on the internal system. So we're, we're unable to accept anything by a sun uh, by a thumb drive. Anybody else have anything for the acceptance technology? It just seems antiquated to be saying submit a CD. I mean, I, this, the, this is the question I kind of asked the county have the ability to read a CD. Yes, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of us with external drives. Yeah, but the paid viruses on CDs, you can thumb drives, I guess. That's an IT question, but I think yeah. they can scan them different. But nobody has CD drives any longer. Right. More and more of the county equipment won't even have the capacity to put a USB in. Oh, really? only the, um, yeah, I think I think it's other Okay. So, so, I'm a little I mean, I can look into it and get a pretty good better answer. Yeah, or I just hey, Laura, Laura, you guys are breaking up a little bit. Um, was the question, why can we take a CD over a thumb drive? Yes. Yes. That's what we're yeah, trying it, to figure out. It's, it's a legitimate question. Um, 
the IT has allowed us to download stuff and upload it into the system using the CD drive, although the majority of the development community and engineering firms no longer use that technology. I mean, ideally, we would just prefer to see everybody upload everything, uh, upload all the PDFs into the PBON file, and that takes takes staff out of having to deal with uh, with uploading it into the system. But yeah, as far as the thumb drive goes, the the DIT policy because of the potential of down or uploading viruses into the system through a, a thumb drive, it, we've been advised that we absolutely cannot cannot use that use use thumb drives. Thank you, John. That's that's really the best answer. <laughs> Preferred files to be uploaded in landmark if possible. Okay. All right. So back to the agenda. Uh, that was it for me. I, I put the tech memo update administrative because it's fairly minor. Uh, so we would be looking to approve the January 18, 24 minutes. Uh, or I don't know if you want me to walk through or just want to see if there are any uh, proposed changes. Just adding changes, I think they're relatively straightforward, I thought. Questions? We have a motion to approve. So moved. Thank you, Elizabeth. Second. Thank you. All favor say aye. Move it. Okay. All right. Yep, we're moving ahead. Okay, so the next item, our first official item on the agenda is the roadways over dam and banks and fireworks access road flat note. The work that we actually did on this was pertaining to the flat note. Uh, as I pull this up, uh, I believe it was Angela has suggested that we look at the, the deed for uh, private street access easements and see if there's any language that we might want to extract from that into this draft note. And there was, um, that language in yellow here is what we wanted to add. So we, this is what we crossed out at the last meeting, the first paragraph, and it became a bulleted list for clarity. And so what we added was, shall be responsible for maintenance, repair, and replacement of. And then Jason asked that we change this to violating identification along private public roads instead of on and suggested that we strike this last line, maintenance shall not be a public responsibility. I'm reading there's something weird in the first yellow. Shall be responsible for maintenance, repair, and replacement of maintain. maintain. The maintain is struck out. It's very oh, hard to see. If I yeah. made it bigger, maybe? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Uh, the maintain, it wouldn't say the maintain. This would be struck. And same with on. But I'm curious, that second bullet point, I, I get fire lane identification on private roads. I, I just feel like we're, the FSM is stepping into, I don't know, VDOT territory, and how do, we, how do we obligate someone to maintain anything in the public right of way? But I just, Legally, I don't know if we can do that. Oh, so my understanding was that VDOT 
will allow them to be installed and maintained, but will not install or maintain them. So in order to meet the fire code requirements, this is the way it has to be approached. I just think it's an inappropriate placement of responsibility on a private party that doesn't, I mean, technically to go out in the public right of way and do any type of maintenance, you need a VDOT permit. This wasn't, or none of this, is, this is not public right away. This is all private roads. So this is public roads. It was part of what? So part of the effort, Zeb, was that um, the fire marshals on We also want to make sure we address signs. And also the county jury's office is not concerned about signs and obligation for um, not for the county or the state to maintain and replace filing and education science. This has been a long-going discussion about should this be in the um, covenants? <laughs> You know, how should we handle this? Um, because it, it comes to be an issue of who has to replace the signs. People take the signs down because they're not aesthetically pleasing, but they're safety issues. And then the fire marshal's office has to go round and round to try to get the, the signs go back up. So they want this plaque out so that the obligation is clear. So I, I'm going to stop here. If somebody else says I'm way off base, let me know. But um, if it's a public benefit in the public right away, the public ought to take care of it. I agree. Whether that be VDOT or the county, I, I don't, and, and you know, I'm not an attorney, but I don't see how you place burden on a private entity to maintain a public space. So I think we would then have to look at whether that parcel is developed, right? Because VDOT won't accept it. They have made it perfectly clear to us that they will not accept maintenance of that roadway connection. What kind of roadway section are you thinking about? I'm going to talk about it. Again, we don't know until the application is presented to us, but the circumstance could be that somebody wants to do a 200 lot subdivision that can only have one means of ingress and ingress without crossing over some kind of, so it could be a secondary, it could be a primary, so 200 lots, it could serve one home. So this is intended for these emergency access routes that are only moved. Emergency access. Yeah, no, no, no. This fire lane signage. So this is the situation Brandon. I wasn't getting to the signage. I think I think we need to be careful about signage discussion and roadway. So which one are you ignoring? Roadway discussion. Okay, the road back on the roadway amendments. I can pull them back. With this though, I'm this language right here leads to it. Well, same fire lane identification. So that's what I'm particularly concerned about. And you're talking about bullet one, Brandon. Yeah, basically. He's on bullet one. And this is when you have a fire hammer's access road for emergency vehicle only, which is private. There is no public responsibility to maintain that, to rebuild that, to remove snow from it, to keep it viable. This, this is different than like site access road that also serves as a fire access. This is going to be only in emergency access road. 
Jason, you're on the line too. I don't know if you want to speak up about Kevin's concern about private entities maintaining signs in right away or curb painting or whatever. <clears throat> sure. That's been the county's policy for several years now. Um, basically, the only time you would need fire lane identification along a public road is if the public road wasn't built to fire apparatus access road standards. And this goes back to when we had the discussion about fire apparatus access roads and found that there was a discrepancy between, I guess, the minimum width that VDOT would accept versus the minimum width that is required by the uh, statewide fire prevention code. And so VDOT, my understanding was, and this was several years ago, probably pre-pandemic, um, it was when Chief Hale was still here, the VDOT was going to go talk to um, whatever department it is, I forget, is it housing and urban development or something like that that promulgates or community development that promulgates the the building code and the statewide fire prevention code to try to reconcile the issue but we were fine with saying fire lane identification along public roads and making that the hoa's uh responsibility if if it's installed I guess I understand the county's okay with that. Yes, okay. <laughs> when we wrote the standard three, four years ago, we just sort of, there's a different standard between VDOT and the county now. The county's requiring the signs, VDOT wouldn't, to move the projects forward, we've just been maintaining them and installing them because there's no other avenue for developers at this time. But the county requires the signs to want the project to move forward. Oh, no, I, you know what? I, I think we fall on our sword arguing whether you put the sign up or not it's when you're turned over to the hoa now the hoa is going to get a notice from the county that you're missing three signs out on route seven and it's out there i mean i've got several streets that, that this would fall under some of the, the later sections, so it's a newer practice from what I'm seeing. It's just started occurring in uh, some of the western sections in Wrangleton. Um, and it's the first time I heard it, I thought it was crazy, um, but it's gone through, I guess, the maintenance easement that you know, the developers put through at the time it comes to the family. And it does put us, you know, prior to that, I'd say we'd have a nice, pretty, from an HOA perspective, we had a nice split. VDOT is VDOT. And we stayed away from VDOT until this came along, and now I've kind of blurred that line. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, you, do you experience this where you have to put in? Yeah, you know, myself. That, which it allows a, a narrower street so more houses can get kind of put in there. That was Jason's point. The alternative is a totally private street going to the HOA. Rather take just painting up the curb <laughs> right. all the other responsibilities that come with the asphalt. But, but it is it is a different practice that I've seen you know, in the time I've been on the camp. What happens when the developer has to do road improvements not in front of their site, off basically off site in front of someone else's property and has to put the sign set up there? And have to maintain a sign in front of someone else's property. Well, 
Uh, my response is design your road wide enough so that it meets fire apparatus access road standards, and then the problem solved. You don't have to put in anything. Perfect world, we hear you. We do that. <laughs> that yeah. The problem is the folks don't like the parking adjacent to it. Right. So in the FSM, there's criteria for parking on no sides of the street, parking on one side, parking on both sides, right? But beat out allows you to park on both sides with a smaller section. Right. So the discrepancy is what width accommodate both the travel way for the fire and the parking on both sides. So if you don't have that width and want to only allow one side or zero sides to park, none of them requires the signs or the paint on the on both sides, right? Yes. Kind of <clears throat> rehashing the discussion we previously had. But basically, the issue was VDOT was viewing, you know, the minimum required for them to accept as kind of the maximum that they would accept, both the minimum and the maximum. And that was our point was, no, it's the minimum. If the developer builds it wider, you have to accept the wider. And um, the law allows that. It just they want less to maintain. I'm not arguing over the width. Yeah. yeah. I'm arguing over uh, the fire lane identification. If that happens to fall within a public right of way, do beg the question: Is it legal for the county to require a private entity to go out in the public street and do anything? Well, that's the that's the other issue. I mean, I guess curb painting is one thing. And remind me, if you put in signs, do you also have to curb paint, or is it one or the other? Depends. So, yeah. How many signs you put in? It's typically one of the other. Because regarding the signs, that's the thing too. Is you know the VDOT right of way is face of curb to face of curb, and maybe if there's a sidewalk, but the sign isn't put at the edge of the curb slash gutter. The sign is put on the outer edge of the sidewalk, typically, or at least I think, if my memory serves correct. And so that technically falls outside of the right of way. I said if I missed the green strips between the curb yeah. and the sidewalk restraint. Oh, okay. Maybe sometimes that happens. And and the right of way is always wider than the curb to curb. I think mean, it's yeah. a minimum line. A loop that never got closed was that. The state fire code is different than the state road standard. I, that's I, I understand. <laughs> well, the county's perspective, you're not going to get, unless you put the signs on the plan, plan's not going to get. Not arguing that. I'll put the sign on the plan and plant the sign. It's, 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 it's now saying maintenance long term. It and just, you know, what you're saying is that, you know, in terms of the rule, that maintenance and the public right away, there's a big agreement to actually use the final from the developer for the HSA. The HOA has to have a maintenance agreement with VDOT to do this work, and that takes care of whether they're legally allowed to be doing that work. It really just comes down to where we don't think there's much. Well, I mean, maintenance agreement allows like landscaping or the HOA right away, you have to get a maintenance agreement. Uh, that's like, um, requests. There's no code requirement saying you can put a tree inside the right 
I think this was just memorializing current practice. Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, we didn't think it was going to be. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll speak up again. Um, basically, I mean, that was kind of the discussion was that, hey, VDOT, we're telling you the statewide fire prevention code sets the minimum width that we have to accept as the county. And if you're going to start approving um, widths and accepting widths that are less that require that end up requiring the signage, the county's not going to maintain it. And we're not even going to, I mean, I think VDOT approached us and said, well, you know, as the owner of the right of way County, now you have to pull up a land use permit. And I said, no, we're not doing that. You accepted a road that in our in our viewpoint is in violation of the law, and now you're making us get a permit for something we said wasn't even correct. No. Um, if you're gonna accept this, you get a you enter into you make the uh the developer slash landowner pull the permit and enter directly into whatever agreements you want with them, the county's not gonna be a party. Yeah, I, I remember we went round and round and round with VDOT on this a number of years back. And currently the way we're handling it is for new streets being taken into the system. The HOA gets a land use permit from the state and uh, they also sign what's called a covenant of perpetual maintenance agreement. And that's recorded at the courthouse. And um, the bonding issue came up initially. VDOT wanted bonds, but they they backed off on that because uh, essentially they're holding a bond in perpetuity for something that they're never going to maintain. And, um, that's currently how we're handling it right now. Covenant perpetual maintenance and a land use permit with the HOA and VDOT goes ahead and accepts it. There's a mechanism. And John, if you have people, have you had HOAs go out and replace signs? Have you heard any issues? No, because once once we get it up and accepted by VDOT, it's really out of our purview. I think the fire marshal has the ability to go out and tell them to put the signs back up, but I, I haven't heard of any problems or issues. I mean, it sounds like there's a system in place to account for this category. Uh, it, it, right whether it's right or wrong is my issue. Yeah, I don't think that's for us to 
I don't know if it should go in the window. I mean, it's a, it's a safety issue at this point that VDOT should maintain. If a stop sign goes down, should the HOA, HOA replace that? What's the difference? It was an aesthetic thing where typically residents or the HOA themselves were taking these signs down deliberately. The difference for VDOT was that they were not requiring the signs, but they don't want to maintain them. So, yeah, just. Just to um, <laughs> kind of add to the conversation, we had that discussion with VDOT and sorry, this was, you know, years ago. I think there's something called like, what is it? The MUTCD. Yeah. And that has a whole bunch of signs that VDOT will maintain uh, traffic control signs. Fire lane signs don't aren't included in that for whatever reason. And that was one of the suggestions was, well, add fire lane signs and VDOT said, no, we're not going to add them. And they consider them some other kind of, I think they fall under, I can't remember specifically, but I think they fall under some other, or the VDOT considers them to fall under some other uh, Virginia Code or VAC section other than um, the MUTCD signage. So, if assuming this stays in, does that mean at bond release, the county is going to want to see this perpetual maintenance agreement in place? Just something to go through is the street repentance package. Okay, it's a job setting. Right. We used to throw it out there too all the time, but it's more than just maintenance. It's an additional liability that's now put on the association that wasn't there prior, right? Because we don't maintain it. Someone starts parking there, gets rear-ended or whatever the case may be, you know, now that's, now we're involved in a VDOT issue that we wouldn't have been fired, you know, without that agreement. So it's, a, it's another one of many differences. <laughs> if I remember Jason, history is correct, arguing this four years ago. Well, and, uh, I know. Uh, yeah. We said who's going to maintain the science. Yeah. She kind of said not our problem. It's between you and VDOT. You want the road to get approved. This is what you need to do. I'm happily about to move forward. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be for the record, I guess. <laughs> so, so we have the roadway over dam amendments. This is tracking with that. Zeb will be processing that. Um, what we would like to do with these amendments at this point is put them out in agency referral, uh, probably a two-week agency referral, and at which time we would come back with comments just like we plan to all other times. Um, so that's the next step. So we're not looking for final agreement or recommendations with any push from board, just sort of a consensus, yes, Proceed, take this to the agency. With general consensus for that. Now, this, this is this was the plat text, and then the other text. Um, it's it was. Hang on a second. I'm trying to get there. Uh, essentially, this text was right here. It's in 4310B. The same text is, repeat, sorry, is repeated in the Fire Operators Access Road section. 
And um, what it's saying is that developments have to have at least one point of road access meeting fire infrastructure road standards that does not cross a dam embankment or causeway. The concern being we've had some situations where um, A, we're going to get streets accepted uh, by VDOT because of agreement issues and we take responsibility for the dam. And B, the other issue was that in the potential that there was a catastrophic failure, who would, how would these residents access their homes? So this is what that why this provision is being added. And I, I tried to do that quickly, Sarah, but if, if I've said anything wrong. That's beautiful. I mean, you want to, I have it. This is his amendment, but I'm just trying to keep us rolling here. Um, so it's the same text um, in both of these sections. Do we get clarification what all portions of development would? Yeah, Jason, I, I thought I addressed that pretty well last time. I think the issue was open space. And as I recalled, um, it wouldn't be a tot lot or something like that. It would have to be active open space or recreation center or an HOA um, community center. Thank you. Um, so, it was not intended to, to mean every bit of green space. Should that be revised to say all portions of residences or? Well, that's all. that's the thing. I mean, we're open to, to more language. Uh, if You know, if you say residential lots or anything, again, it's that HOA improvements, um, you know, like the, the recreation center, the pool house, um being located in an open space where you don't have that uh second point of safe access so jason addressed this a little bit last during the last discussion and he was talking about that road access implied some of this and that's how it's road access being required to like residences or it, and I don't know if this works, Jason. What if we said all occupied portions? Because you, you still need an occupancy permit for like a pool house. And, yeah, you know, that's where my rate is going. Yeah. Or well, like a sports field or something like that. That's a good question. That's, that's what Jason said. Included in this, and we're just trying to clarify. It's really just like you want, you want to capture. Place where people could be congregated in a building. Right? Just a, I don't know if it's just a building. We talk about wineries and for Yeah. Yeah, buildings. We have a tasting room, but they might have 300 people in the field for an event. I, I don't, it was very yeah, hard. Man, those, those places have big signs that say, you're, you're on your own, coming here. It's on you. <laughs> you chose to come here. <laughs> Aren't there already standards though for where the access road needs to go to? Just saying you just need to at least can't count this only one going in. And so it's not something we contemplated, so that's why you're not seeing language on it, because we never thought about this. We never thought that this requirement would ever apply to a green space. Um okay, all portions of the development that require fire access shall have at least one point. I assume so. I still it defines what requires fire access already. Fire apparatus access. 
What do you think of that, Jason? Um. I just don't know if fire apparatus access is a term by itself. I know fire apparatus access road is the term, so and that's what I'm chewing on. And I don't want to say fire apparatus access road access. That starts sounding a little <laughs> redundant. Um, Do we have to come up with final language right now, or can we uh, work on this separately? Work on this separately. Um, yeah, we can. I think we can probably try to tighten it up. That's fine. I, I think you get what we're suggesting, just to help clarify the rarest of rare events that there's some green space that is isolated. I don't think it's going to can't imagine would be likely to happen. Sure. Okay, so on that. And that puts us back in the agenda. All right, let's try to keep moving. Okay, so for the natural resources um, voting ordinance items, we have we have quite a few staff members here from the natural resources team. Um, the plan here is to sort of scroll through the majority of the amendments with the exception of the um, soil volume and tree proximity. I know it's going to that staff presentations. At our next meeting. Today, no, today. Oh, to, I'm sorry. Today. And then the plan was maybe to have some additional discussion at the next meeting. So I'm going to kind of scroll. Melody, do you want to speak to these changes as I yeah. scroll? Okay. So, so just so you guys know, if you weren't at the last meeting, or the meeting in December, we did bring these in December. Unfortunately, we didn't have a quorum. Um, so these have been to the group once already, and we incorporated any any typo. I think there were some typo comments, but no other comments. And then they were also all of these have also been to the tree work group, and they all reached consensus to bring these to you. So these have been viewed already by both the tree work group and once before by the PRC, we just didn't have um, a forum at the time. So we want to get through these really quickly so that we can get to the, the more fun stuff of tree proximity and soil volume that's coming later. So I want to go ahead and scroll to that to the first one. Let me get, hang on, let me go to my pages here so I can see it. This is um, tree conservation and landscape plans. This just uh, defines who can uh, prepare a tree conservation and landscape plan. Arborist landscape architect or PE. This has been on the property now, anyways, right? This requirement to just codify this. Yeah. Any no issues with that? All right, moving on to the next one. Um, about that. So this is the adding the, the AMC requirements. That was a request of the PRP, so we have added that in. That was consistent with this. All right, so carry on. Those are normal, like two inch caliber, three inch caliber. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same thing here is just adding in those uh, requirements again. Would be skipping over B. 
yes, we're skipping B, we're coming back to B, and we're coming back to these later. So we're skipping these for now. Stop here. Yeah. This one we did get a comment on from the PRC, and we are we we read the comment and kind of agreed with what it was. I think the comment was that meeting the diversity or the biodiversity for evergreen shrubs would be a bit challenging. And looking at our list of native evergreen shrubs, we agree that that could be challenging if something were not to be in stock because we only have four native evergreen shrubs and we're requiring three different ones. If they were stocked to use with the nurseries, that could be an issue. So we have updated this to say just deciduous shrubs and that this, but this does not apply to evergreen shrubs. So we took that comment into account and updated this. So the new text is in yellow. This is not what I submitted to you all on Monday, but we've since updated this and wanted to share it. Hey, thank you for considering market availability. That's yeah, it's, it's a real concern. <laughs> you only have different ones and you require three of something is it's out of stock or it's being used or something. Could you just repeat it one more time what you said? Sure. So, diversity. so the, the intent was for biodiversity. So if you have um, 30 or more shrubs to have three or more deciduous um, shrub species and three or more evergreen shrub species, but because we don't have a lot of uh, native evergreen shrubs, we removed that requirement from evergreen. So now it just applies to uh, deciduous shrubs. So if you're required to have 30 or more shrubs on your site, um, at least you, you basically will have to have three, at least three different types of deciduous shrubs. And they don't have to be You just have to meet the overall native requirements for the site. Hey, Laura. Yeah. Um, just for, I guess, clarification, since achieving diversity applies to both the trees and the shrubs. Can you do it like to achieve diversity colon and then subsection? Uh, first subsection dealing with the uh, trees and then second subsection dealing with the shrubs. Yeah. And then the only other thing I saw on this um, jumped out at me this morning was we don't usually say does not apply. Should this be shall not apply, Jason? Sure. Yeah. Is there any? Yeah, that's fine. Waiting to hear y'all that you think we're treading on <laughs> ground we shouldn't be. Question now that I'm looking at trees also reference evergreen. Are there multiple species of Evergreen trees. Yeah, there's more evergreen trees available. It's just shrubs. Unfortunately, there's not a lot. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, more than one. You saw the correct that I, Laura. If. Thank you, Jason. Also, some formatting to do here, but I'm not going to belabor it. Derek had a question. You guys are more experts than anybody. I mean, there's enough trees to select from for sun, shade, clay within different geologies that we can. I think the tree requirement is existing. Yeah, yeah. The requirement is, is existing. It's what you're is required now. Okay. We just find like, Rick probably knows better than anybody, 
certain trees have done better over time, mm -hmm. and it's good to use them. Yeah. There's also the problem having over reliant on particular species, but we've seen it happen throughout history. So okay. I'd encourage you to. That's a temporary. Yeah, there's enough good, good choices to choose from. Yeah. Okay. The only other section is Right on the there. Yeah. Okay. So this is for the tree cover inventory. So this is a new requirement in zoning ordinance. Um, basically, it just goes through what is required for a tree cover inventory if you have a project located in the MOD. Um, and we only got one comment on this prior to the meeting, and it just to confirm that anyone can prepare a tree cover inventory. And yes, that is correct. Um, the intent is that anyone can do this. And we made it as simple as we could so that property owners or non-tech people can do this as well. Scroll down. So anybody else think we'll have to pass it? Yeah, it's pretty simple. Something. All right. So are we good to move these on to our next referral process? Uh, one question I have about D. Why is uh Acreage of forested areas capitalized. Is that are those terms of art? It was just a, a mistake. <laughs> if it doesn't need to be capitalized, we can un uncapitalize it. I, I just wasn't sure if like that was uh, a require, you know, a defined requ term or no. requirement somewhere. No, it's not. That just requires someone to walk through the property and say there's these few types of trees. You're not saying this is where this tree is. Correct. Yeah, we just went through the majority. You think especially first trees, that's what I'm saying. Whatever. Um, the only other thing I would say is that second sentence of the subject parcel, it may be used to satisfy the requirements. I, I think, I don't think we have to do it in the meeting, but we probably want to wordsmith that a little bit. This one? Yeah. What are you thinking, Jason? Just, just saying a, an existing forest management plan may be used to satisfy? Some, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, getting rid of like the may be used, you know, just it, it, it either does or it doesn't. Or just say it can be used. Um, we can we can word it. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, you could say an existing forest management plan or natural resource plan that contains the information below satisfies this requirement. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's that's not a problem. So are we, is everyone in agreement we can move these items on and we don't need to discuss them again? Just because they come back for referral. Does that include the table? Oh, yes, the table. Thank you for reminding me. Do you have the table? We send off like parts of the table was a separate cover. Yeah, the table was separate. We couldn't get it to format correctly in the document with the table updates. It was just a nightmare, so we did it separately. 
would be good, you know, as you guys are looking at zoning applications to try to make the language match those offers to what this is. I mean, strive for as this gets memorialized that it's the same. Sure. We have all these very intricate offers now on planting and just don't want to conflict with this and not yeah. be the outcome that we wanted. Absolutely. Thank you. So um, the tree table has been updated to um, basically fix some typos, fix some things that were incorrect to add native status and to um, note which types of plants are conspicuous flowers, um, because that is a new requirement in the zoning ordinance to have conspicuous flowers. So those have all been updated. Um, we removed the parking lot use. Um, I think the reason, but correct me if I'm wrong, the reason was because we wanted to add more uh, flexibility to the designers and to allow you to choose what you think works best in the parking lot. And because while this wasn't a, a set in stone requirement, I think people read it that way, but this made it where we feel like it gives more flexibility to the people that are designing the projects. And then we left in the utility lines and gateway corridors that are a little more specific. Which approach would generate less comments? Having specific parking lot trees designated, or if you don't have them and somebody so when the, when they were laid on parking lot, if you were putting trees on parking lot, that was, those are the only ones you could use. Was it they were laid on parking lot? You could use any. Yeah, you can use other trees. I think the problem is people look at this table and say, "Oh, these are the only trees I can't use in the parking lot." So it was um, just kind of a misconception of what the table she just can't use evergreen supplement parking lot and interior parking lot landscape. I think that was all important. This was just a suggestion. Trends in the industry change faster than we can make updates to this, so we just didn't want to act as an authority on what was an acceptable trade with her. And I agree. I think removing it would generate less. Okay. Okay. I don't know. All of a sudden, you have a bunch of black walnuts coming in. Yeah, comments that wait are going to drop. Now, if you're not doing settings, babies occur naturally in the states of Maryland, Virginia, and West Virginia. Is that or? Or is it they group it by region and there's no further differentiation? I believe that's what's in the zoning ordinance definition. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it is any of those states, is the interpretation. So that's what's in the zoning ordinance now. There's a chance we could. So West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't hurt my feelings at all. We would do that. Uh, this is Jason. Just another question. So regional native plants is a term defined in the zoning ordinance. Correct. Yes. And this matches what verbatim what that definition says. Okay. It does. Oh, yeah. Okay. Alan, you can pick up. It doesn't. But it did. What is different about it? Regional native plants, including their cultivars, shown on the USDA plant list, are accepted nomenclature and taxonomy of symbols. Plants database naturally occurring within the state of Virginia, Virginia first. In 
Yeah. And I guess I would shorten it to just say regional native plants are those species. So get rid of defined as there. I can't edit this based on a PDF. Oh, okay. Never mind. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll work on it separately. I also just my other only other thought is USDA plants database is that like the official name of I think I know what you're talking about but yes. that is the official name okay um again I'll, I'll make a comment or we can discuss later about wordsmithing all right, and we did get a couple of comments on this before I wanted to make sure we went through those. Um, there was a question about the minimum planting area being in this as a conflict with the newly um, proposed soil volume and proximity requirement. Alex, did you want to speak to that? Sure thing. Um, so this, uh, the revisions to this tree table were done independently of our soil volume and our uh, tree proximity updates. Um, once those get through here and are referred further, uh, we'll update this. Those are basically going to supersede the requirements that are in this table. And um, we just didn't want to be premature in updating anything on here until we had a uh, final confirmation of whatever what our requirements are going to be in those settings. But we talk about them all. For the minimum planting area in square feet, that, those are going to be superseded by the um, soil volume. And are those from the Table. Are those numbers set from the, the references above? No. Or those were developed when this table was originally developed. Just, no, I think they came from the Virginia Tech uh, publications. Like the same place where the canopy coverage numbers came from, I believe, but that was before I But that's been in the table for a long time now. And we had a question as to why a white finch tree was being removed from the yeah. list. So Emerald Ash Borer um, has eliminated most of the native ash trees in the area. I'm sure you've probably heard about that before. Uh, basically, white fringe trees that shared just no alternate host for the same insect that is uh, infested the ash trees. So best of our cultural practices now is to, we're trying to let the pest burn itself out. Basically, if it kills all the ash trees, maybe we'll reduce those populations. So we're trying not to ban alternate hosts for that and to keep those pest populations alive and active to allow an opportunity for the native ash trees to potentially regenerate in the future. So if we're gonna have a section about the soil volume. Okay. I know, but why even have that? No, I'm just saying once this was done totally independently of that, once those are approved, we'll you know, we just eliminate that section. If on this table you think you're gonna eliminate the minimal thing section. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm just gonna suggest I have two places. Oh call. Yeah. The minimal planting area is several angles. It's it's separate from the soil volume requirement. And why is it changed? It, it's not going to change. You're still going to have a minimum. Okay, that's the minimum of the space plan here. Suspended data, smart semantic planning. You're still going to have a minimum of the space area required. Okay, where do those numbers come from? Those came from the pages that I was still going to have to They're very long standing numbers. So this is what's being followed today these square foot numbers, but we don't have a soil volume. Right. And we didn't change these when we did the added the 20 year canopy with the previous tree canopy worker. We did not. I suggest that maybe just talk, talk. We can come back to this once we talk about it. 
Sure. Whether it's relevant. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. All right, and then we have one more question. Um, should ILEX native shrub or native holly have a no, native? Should native holly have native? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so it's got to have some translation <laughs> before we're doing these edits. So we will update that. Have it, have it in. I'm just sorry, I missed this. I looked at it. And it's just more beings. Uh, we just we moved a few things around. You can see that um, we uh, originally had listed those four cultivars of vestigial trees. Vestigial just meaning like a straight up and straight upright, narrow kilometer sort of tree. Yeah. We don't listen to those four examples. We just condense that all into one ring. These are your large deciduous vestigials. And another way to kind of improve the flexibility of the table to say that those are not the only four vestigial cultivars that we're allowing. Okay. Question um, for staff. In the previous discussion, there was discussion about this being overhead utility lines and adding overhead to utility lines down here at the uses. Were you all okay with that? I just don't, I don't think it does change. I just want to be sure that all the Okay. They're not intended to apply to the sewers. I mean, have you reviewed that list against like the Novak list? Yeah, we looked at Virginia Tech and Novak and Dominion all have them. Um, and I think we're in general agreement. They have a very specific list. Yeah, but everyone has a different Novak and Dominion on the same list, so yeah. I'm trying to make everyone happy. Has there been any discussions or consideration for replanting of these trees? What we're seeing um, is trees that are planted eight feet away, you know, from away from each other or ten feet away from each other, some of the large ones, or within Two or three feet of sidewalks and driveways. The residents are reaching out. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Okay. We're going to get to that in the, in the presentation. Okay. But hold that thought. That's a good thought. Hold on. Good. All right. Are there any other comments or questions on this? The table, you want to also move this? Forward. I would like to move the table forward as well if we can. So if it moves forward, it's is just to clarify, it is not. Going to include the soil volume uh, language that we're skipping over. The minimum planting area is something that's remaining in this table. I understand that, but there's an earlier paragraph that we said we're skipping, whatever it was, paragraph B, talking about soil volume. That's going to be presented later today. So why don't we say if if we make changes to that, we'll bring it back. If we don't, we can move it forward. How does that sound? I'm just, maybe I'll say it another way. Your intent is to move everything forward, preferably with the soil volume. Yes, that is what we're hoping to do. But we just want to go ahead and say that these are done and we don't need yeah. to talk about it again yeah. here Perfect. for now. I think I'll think we're going to circle back on with the minimum planting. Okay. So okay, so yeah. we can circle back on that one. So the other ones are good. If we need to circle back on them, then we now we're going to go on to the soil volume and tree proximity. Uh, we do have two presentations for you. It should be about 30 minutes. So I would ask that you guys just bear with us and hold all your questions to the end of the presentation. Uh, we're going to give you a lot of background information. Um, and I think we got a lot of comments on this, but we took those into account when we were making the presentation. So I think these are going to answer a lot of your questions. Um, and then once that's done, we can have about, we'll have about 30 minutes left for discussion. And then we intend to discuss again at the next PRC meeting. So this won't be your only opportunity, but we wanted to give you this information, kind of get some, some initial reactions from you 
give you some time to digest it over the next couple of weeks and then bring it back. So Kyle's going to start with tree proximity and then Mike is going to go into um, soil logging. Thank you so much. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Kyle Davis. I'm one of the resources engineer here at the Natural Resources team. And delighted to talk about our tree proximity uh, FSM one please. So this issue has been kind of near and dear to our heart for, for a while now. Um, and it's a uh, multifaceted issue. So being in the natural resources team, we not only do a lot of plan review, but we go out in the field and we're always trying to understand how trees are interacting with uh, our developed environment. So we have seen this issue across a couple of different fronts. Um, the first front is just through uh, field observations, um, actively seeing trees planted way too close to infrastructure and causing some issues. We have seen it on the plan review side. And we've also worked with various uh, communities such as HOAs that have come to us and said, hey, we're having these really, really big problems with our sidewalks buckling and residents are tripping and we're getting sued and having to pay um, millions of dollars for a lawsuit. And we're having trouble keeping our insurance or new insurance for the community uh, because of these widespread um, issues with, with trees and sidewalks. Um, one important thing to understand at the basic tree biology level is that when you have you know, uh, any type of tree, but particularly with a large deciduous tree, as you plant that tree and it grows and develops over time, it develops a very distinctive flare. You can see that in the uh, picture on the right. And the reason a tree does that is you, know, you can think of that part of the tree, and there's also a part you can't see that's basically like a really big muscle. So as that tree grows and it's influenced by the wind and other forces, it knows to allocate tissues to that part of the tree in order that when that tree moves back and forth, it won't topple over. So as it's growing over time and gaining its leaf area, it's also strengthening out um, that flare area. And again, it's kind of like flexing a muscle. The, the more you use it, the, the bigger the muscle is going to get. So as the tree reaches a certain size, and large deciduous trees typically get um, very big, you're going to cause issues just on a, a basic biology level because the tree is going to outflex its space. The good thing about it is we can anticipate that and move the tree a little bit farther back in order to prevent the issues. So you can basically aggregate them into two, have your development, and not have this particular um, tree proximity issue. One of the um, one of the things I've learned through urban forestry over the years is it's a good thing is a lot of our tree health issues can be prevented just with some uh, proper planning. Next slide, please. So there's two big considerations here. We have a physical infrastructure conflict, so we have the physical damage to it, the liability issues that I uh, described before. We work with uh, multiple communities with trying to talk them through this issue. Um, and it's also just expensive to have to replace infrastructure, uh, not to mention um, when you have this issue, you get into ADA compliance um, issues as well. And then we have our tree conflict. So from a, a regulatory standpoint, we have to plant trees in the landscape to meet zoning ordinance requirements, UFSM requirements, and we're not getting those trees uh, long term on site because they're causing damage and people um, will cut them down and have to replace them structure. And sometimes they don't plant any tree back at all. Um, trees are an investment, um, not only from the development side where we know they 
um, contribute to the health and welfare of people, they increase property values, but we also have all the environmental considerations as well. Um, trees providing us clean air and water. Um, and the other thing is when you have trees that have these conflicts and you get declining tree health, even if the tree's not replaced, it is more expensive to maintain an unhealthy tree than it is a healthy one. So really it's kind of a double-edged sword there. Excellent, please. So one, uh, one thing we've been working on over the years, and I believe last winter, we all got together and started um, initiating these kind of internal uh, field work assignments where we went out and we said, okay, we know that we've seen this issue in the county. Where have we seen it? And we wanted to make sure that we looked at the issue and you know, wanted to get a pulse on, you know, what's the geographical distribution? What is the diversity in the development types? Is it single-family residential? Is it dense commercial areas? Um, if we went back and looked at these sites and we pulled the development plans, are these CPAPs from the 1990s or are these ones that are more recent? What we found is that it's all above. Um, it, it ranges from developments that were put in 30 years ago to ones that are only a few years old. It's not only single-family residential, but it's also in uh, denser commercial uh, areas as well. So this just does a little snip from a uh, GIS app that some of my great colleagues have put together. And each of these points is a um, single piece or single, excuse me, a single instance where either the tree was failing infrastructure or the tree was unhealthy or it was a situation that we knew when the tree got to maturity, it would definitely uh, cause a problem. So we have really been trying to put a pulse and get some evidentiary information uh, to support something that we've seen in the field. So just to tie this in to our brand new zoning ordinance, um, particularly uh, there's just a couple different uh, related ties, but I thought this one was, was pretty good. Um, chapter 7, landscape buffering and screening, you know, these three points, want to preserve and promote health, safety, and general welfare. Well, if we're having a bunch of tree issues, um, urban sidewalks, then we're, we're causing a, a health and safety issues. We want to make sure that we have um, vibrant streetscapes that are um, easy for people to traverse. And if we have a uh, tree and sidewalk, um, you know, we're, we're not particularly doing that. And also, again, just the uh, ecosystem benefits. You know, we want a robust canopy with, with great developments that serve our citizens. So we feel that this will install. So again, I'm just going to show you a couple quick snapshots. Again, this is the tree. Um, the sidewalk. Slide, please. These are trees that not only have um, soil volume issues that Mike is going to talk about um, after my presentation, but again, you can kind of see the sidewalk is, is ripply. Uh, we've got some pretty distinctive cracks there, and those trees are uh, happy campers where they are. And this is one of, of a tree that, um, you know, as it continues to grow, it's, it's going to cause some issues, and that is. Uh, a very, very small space for, for that tree to, to grow and thrive in. Um, so it's definitely a stress condition. So just kind of getting to the end here, these are issues we've seen in the field. Um, it is allowed by regulations. Um, the interior parking lot landscaping requirements of the zoning ordinance um, do have a set in stone tree proximity, but other than that, um, we just basically have to hold people to the uh, minimum space requirements in uh, Table 3 of Chapter 7. And really, we want to uh, prevent the potential for future conflicts and declining tree health. 
We have also worked since 2020 to successfully proffer uh, tree proximity in a variety of legislative applications. Um, and our uh, other jurisdictions have similar requirements uh, than what we're asking for. So this just shows a quick snapshot of some of the other uh, jurisdictions. Um, Fairfax and Prince William are very similar to what you're asking. And then uh, black slide is, you know, this is the language that we are recommending um, for good from any restricted barrier. Again, with this recommendation, we feel this will better implement the intentions of the zoning ordinance and the general plan, and that we can have not only robust canopy, but um, great developments for our citizens to enjoy. So thank you so much. We'll now hand it over to Mike. Hi, I'm Mike Renan. I'm the Loudoun County Urban Forester. Uh, poor Pete has to hear me talk about trees and dirt one more time. <laughs> uh, so this is going to be a lot of information, and I know it's going to be pretty quick, but I just want to leave as so much time for a discussion that we can have today. So just all our questions and comments to the end, please. Okay. So the purpose and intent is we want to implement the zoning ordinance landscape requirements. Uh, we're going to talk about a scientific basis for soil volume, where this is coming from. We're going to explore some neighboring jurisdictions you're probably familiar with. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the problems we've seen. Uh, we're, we're going to review the requirement, obviously, and uh, we're going to look at implementation, uh, how compliance will be demonstrated, uh, some zoning ordinance and plan examples. So the New Lamb County Zoning Ordinance uh, 7.0384 permits us to uh, create a soil volume standard uh, for trees. And what we're really getting at is we want successful landscape design, we want to establish a healthy and resilient urban forest, we want to reduce tree mortality and maintenance costs. Uh, we want to ensure trees reach their genetic size in the canopy. Uh, we want to protect public health and welfare by avoiding infrastructure issues and providing ecosystem benefits. Uh, we really want to make sure that trees uh, reach maturity where they are they have the biggest canopies and they're providing the biggest sociological and ecological benefits to the residents of Latin County. Tree size is directly correlated with how much available soil volume they, they have and they can get to. The majority of the tree roots occur in the first uh, 12 to 18 inches of the soil surface. Uh, the first three feet of soil volume is usable to the tree in terms of oxygen, the nutrient uptake, and water. Uh, three foot depth is a standard used to measure soil volume for trees. This, this graphic was done based on research originally done by Jim Urban and Dr. Smiley. Uh, it was originally published in 1991, has been republished many times, but it's showing you how much soil will grow, how big the tree. So if we look at, for example, if we have 1,200 cubic feet, we can grow approximately a 19-inch diameter tree with a 36-inch diameter canopy. So, do we have a soil volume standard currently? And the answer is no, not exactly, not directly. Uh, we had already talked about today the uh, minimum planting area in square feet that's in the column and that's the same table. And so that is the minimum area required to plant a certain size tree. And the most, the largest minimum planting area in square feet is 130 square feet. So which would give us, if you multiply it by a three foot depth, would give us 390 cubic feet of soil volume. And we'll look at the example of tulip tree. So if you had approximately 400 cubic feet of soil volume 
based on research by Jim Irwin and Dr. Smiley, you could grow approximately an eight-inch tree. So when you think about that in terms of tree longevity and the canopy means any ordinance requirement, it really doesn't add up. It really doesn't do a tree like Tulipapa that has the potential to be one of the biggest trees on the East Coast um, a lot of justice. So we have a situation like this where we have either a business or residents they call and they say, I have this problem. I have this tree. It keeps dying. I replaced it three or four times already. This is a waste of my time and money. This soil space is inadequate. And we look at it and we say, well, it has to be replaced for something in kind because it's part of the street tree requirement. And so people get frustrated. It's, it's really, it's difficult for us to, to tell people that because it isn't done what it's requirement. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate these spaces are inadequate. So we're looking at uh, infrastructure conflicts and damage when reduce conflicts of sidewalks, utilities, and buildings. We're looking at tree mortality, improper planting, limited rooting space, stunted trees. Um, and then they're not meeting the zoning ordinance in terms of the canopy buffering and screening that, that the zoning ordinance is trying to get at. And then naturally, trees are removed, not replaced by frustrated people, and then they're out of compliance with the zoning ordinance. So here we have uh, three examples of Mountain County. Um, all three are red maple. Along the left is in a four by four tree pit, and you can see it already has some tip tie back. It's not a very large tree. The tree in the middle has a utility box also, and it's very limited rooting space. And then the tree on the right, I like as an example, because if you look across the street, there's clearly some residential use, and then on the side of the street, the tree appears to be some mixed use, uh, very limited growing space. Again, another utility box in the very limited soil area, and uh, none of these trees are very large. So we went ahead and we said, okay, well, let's look at some sites from 20 years ago to see if they're actually meeting the 20-year canopy requirement for the zoning ordinance. So we went and looked at a few of these that had inadequate soil volume, and we found consistent with Jim Urban's research that they did not meet the projected canopy. So if we look on the left, we have two Chinese elms in the interior parking lot requirement. So they also need have 270 square feet. Uh, one achieves 78 square feet, one achieves 65. And then similarly, uh, red maple on the right, 202 cubic feet of soil volume, 56 square feet achieved and 270 square feet required. Similar situation on the right, two red maples, inadequate soil space did not be canopy. And the tree on the right here, this willow oak, did in fact meet and exceed the tree canopy and it is planted in a five by five space, with approximately 75 cubic feet of soil volume. And the interesting thing about this though, if you do look at the tree, Look at the picture of the canopy. The main leaf is missing. It was probably dead and pruned out, and it's, the canopy is very sparse. Uh, it's in significant decline. And this tree also had heaved the sidewalk considerably. Again, here's uh, four other examples of interior parking lot trees. These are London plane trees, um, inadequate rooting space, and none of them are approaching uh, meeting the canopy requirement. They're all 20 years. Again, uh, similar situation. These are willow oaks into your parking lot requirement. Uh, we do have one that is approaching the 270 requirement, but it's still falling short at 254 square feet. So there's some other localities that have already adapted 
already adopted the line requirement. Fairfax County requires 700 cubic feet for a large deciduous tree. Arlington requires 600-1200. Alexander requires 450 cubic feet. Prince William County, 970. And Washington, D.C., 1500. Alexander, when they began developing their civil standard, they had a lot of input from the community. There's concerns about from the historic parts of Old Town, Alexandria, that the trees along Prince Street and King Street, that they adopted a more robust standard to preclude trees from going back to those locations. So that's how they arrived at the 450 cubic feet uh, soil volume requirement. Then Washington, D.C. had a very robust um, public input, a lengthy public input process. And the community really came out and demanded that their trees have a significant soil volume. Staff would like to propose is for the soil volume requirements that large deciduous trees have 1,200 cubic feet within a 27-foot radius, and small deciduous trees have 600 cubic feet in a 16-foot radius. It would permit for a reduction of 25% for shared soil volume, and it would be calculated at three-foot depth. Um, and there be there may be alternatives can be used, um, including soil balls, containing soil panels, structural soil. But we'll talk a little bit more about. So the preferred method for achieving soil volume uh, would be to use what is on site. So we, we're not asking anyone to bring a dump truck loads of soil or anything like that, but we would ask that it, it be uncompacted using 12 to 16 inch lifts and using what is available on site. Planting soil is not to exceed 80% proper density, soil pH is not to exceed 7, which have organic matter rate is 3 to 5%. There's a lot of different options, especially for some of these more challenging urban sites uh, to meet the, the soil volume requirements, such as open tree trenches, covered tree pits, engineered or structured soils, uh, soil walls more commonly known as silver cells, uh, sidewalks, root paths. This, for example, this is the older detail from Arlington of their floating sidewalk detail. But what it is fundamentally is it's reinforced steel um, in the sidewalk that permits uncompacted soil underneath the sidewalk and rooting space for that tree in order to achieve soil volume. The new standard would only apply, apply to new development and redevelopment. Existing areas of insufficient soil volume would, would not fall out of compliance with the FSM. The minimum planting area in Table 3 would remain. Sample tables and compliance guides have been prepared by staff, which we're going to share with you. And then we, was, we evaluate the zoning ordinance and multiple types of developments to make sure that this all fits. So I know this is difficult to see, but this table, this table is actually taken from Arlington. And it's basically you have your, your tree number multiplied by the soil volume requirement. And then you have you add the area that you've taken from the plan multiplied by three, you do the soil volume. I'll show you a little bit. So soil areas for individual trees labeled on the plan correspond to soil volume on the tables provided. With soil areas of the same for multiple or individual trees, they may be grouped in the same soil volume table. Areas should be hatched in the landscape plan or a separate exhibit for clarity. This buffer yard table is very similar to the buffer yard table that's already required by Loudon. Uh, we added columns for the soil volume required. Uh, and then the calculation you have the buffer width times the length. Depth will give you the soil volume. So, we, like I said, we looked at all three different red quarter 
uh, bumper types. We looked at all the uh, bumper yard types and the street trees. Some of them, we're going to explore probably the densest, probably most challenging uh, couple examples. We're going to go through. This is this is the buffer yard types three, and uh, minimum width is 20 feet. 95 plant units are required. The soil volume requires 5,500, and soil volume provided is 6,000. So I want you to bear in mind with this too, with the buffer calculation, we're not proposing a soil volume requirement for evergreen trees because we found that it was problematic the way the buffers require. The evergreen trees that it would be problematic for the soil block requirement, among other things, what makes it problematic for establishing a standard for uh, soil block for evergreen trees. So the buffer yard type C, the minimum width of 25 feet, 120 plant units are required. Soil volume required is 5,850 cubic feet, the soil volume provided is 7,500. So we have a 25 foot buffer times 100 foot length. Times three is a 75. This would be the most dense streetscape tree planting that the zoning would require. And this is 25 foot on center. Um, and for this situation, there would need to be some sort of uh, mitigation alternative, such as the flame sidewalk, structural soil, or seal the cells for this, this type of scenario. This is what a boulevard planting would look like, and the minimum width would have to be eight feet to get the small volume in the 27-foot radius for a large deciduous tree. We'll just go through a couple of examples. We've got a lot of um, concerns too about meeting the parking lot requirement and, and alternatives there and what that sort of looked like. So I'm just going to kind of go through some of these examples just to show them. For a standalone parking lot island like this, to meet the soil volume requirement for two deciduous, two large deciduous trees at the end of each each, um, each row, you it would be losing approximately those two spaces, or you'd have to seek some other alternative. We look at the tree on the right, it's uh, incorporating some sort of floating sidewalk or structured soil or something else to tie into the uh, available soil space behind it to achieve the soil. In 2021, we began offering for soil volume requirement for 1,000 cubic feet. And this is actually from a plan that was approved in Loudoun County for this was for a data center. Um, and again, the proffer was 4,000 cubic feet. And you can see that they certainly exceeded um, proper to incorporate soil volume into the parking lot trees. Again, just another example of what uh, a floating sidewalk or some other alternative to tie in additional soil volume in the, in the, for the uh, largest signature tree. I know that that was pretty quick. It's a lot of information, um, but at this time, I invite the group for questions, comments, and discussion. Can yeah. you go back one slide? <clears throat> So I'm trying, I'm trying to understand the 27 foot radius. Mm -hmm. So the soil volume doesn't have to cover the entire 27 foot radius, just fall within it, right. even if it's some jigsaw puzzle path. Sure. If it falls within 27 foot radius. And the 
tree is going to send its roots out in that path? Is, is that how it works? It, it yes. figures it out? Yes. It'd be available so on the tree going to grow with it best. Does that make the tree more vulnerable to come down to the swim if the roots are all growing in one direction? Well, I mean, if we adopt a four foot proximity, so we have, we don't have an uh, impervious surface on four, you know, four feet away. It helps that, but having additional rooting space is going to make the trees much more stronger. Tree roots typically go out one and a half times the tree, so they're used to going more distances out wherever. I joke and say trees are lazy when they when they can't be there. They would have the persistence to not be high enough to be When that is placed. Talking about a soil volume depth still of three feet. Right. Does that mean that someone's got to excavate, fluff, and re gently recompact in that pattern? Yeah, yes, but also the resurface matter if you have the fluid sample. I don't think we include that. Yeah, I don't think it would affect it because we have a sidewalk and they have weights underneath so right now. It would be nice theoretically put it closer than all restrictive barriers in the in the soil in the tree proximity. So we wouldn't consider that place that does, does left have much experience with the structural soil concept? I don't think we've seen it a lot in modern. We've seen it, I think, a couple times where people are doing it in other jurisdictions. We also did it previously, didn't have a still one requirement. So. Laura, how do you want to go through all this? Do you want to start at the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> do the current bulletin. I, mean, I don't want to jump all around because we're not going to get anywhere. Volume, distance, let's focus on one. So intent today is not to get anywhere, but to be honest with you, it's just to get feedback so that we can come back um, the, at the next meeting and sort of show a few language. I don't think we want to update language today. We just want to get feedback, see what people are thinking. You know, is this something that we can get to an agreement on? Is this something we can't? Um, and where, where everyone's thoughts are so that we can go back and address that as well. So that's really yeah. a little different than what was our language. I guess it was talking about talking points. How do you want to start doing talking points? Do you want to do, do you want to jump around like we're currently going or do you want to do like yeah. your first bullet? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can just jump around and talk. I mean, I think I really want this to be a, a discussion, a productive discussion with us. And that way we can pick that feedback and work with it. All right, let's we'll start with your first item would be about sure. all planting areas shall contain soil suitable bulk. So how, how are you guys going to review this? And or, well, review it, I think sure. it's simple in the sense that we got a note on the plan and you got to do this. Great. How do you enforce it? How do we test this and report it? So I think our intent is that we are not going to actively enforce this. You put it on the plan set, you put a note on the plan set, and as professionals, we're responsible for um, building it in the field the way that it is on the plan set. So we do not intend to require any type of um, testing in the field or uh, soil numbers. 
I mean, so there's a big assumption here. For, I mean, we've got a specification, 80% pH and organic matter. I mean, a lot of areas of the county, our organic matter is like two inches of that clay. Right. And so you're saying use the native soil, but I think anybody that has watched, you know, breeding and earth <laughs> <laughs> probably unlikely you're going to see three to five percent organic matter when you go down three feet fluffy. Sure. I think it's likely you would have to amend to some amendments to your existing soil. Um, so we would have to bring some. We're bringing in soil. We have to bring it some, yeah. If, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if your existing soil doesn't meet it or compost. So is, is this ratio you give here about? 80% proctor density and pH of 7 to 3 5 percent organic matter. That's the equivalent of compost. Two. 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 Are we worried about the basis of species contamination with composting? I've seen soil compost. I mean, really? Exactly. A little compost supplier will give you a certification that it contains snow with weed free basins. It's under sterile. I just question the, the ability to test this on every single tree. Everything, no, actually, not even tree, because this is all plantings. This is everything. You need to test every single shrub, every single plant that's going in the ground to make sure we're meeting this requirement. I know you say you're not looking for a report, but if you're a good developer and it's on the plant, you have to do it. I mean, can you even fathom out? You would go about testing every single. I have the percent, percent uh, organics can be tested. Yeah, we, we do it frequently. We define topsoils. I mean, anything five percent organics. And typically, if it's got five percent more working, it's still somewhere else. It's getting buried in the carbons. Yep. Um, you test like you test with like a grading peak compaction, ninety-five percent compaction perspective. What are you talking about? Also, way back on one time. Well, when we're when we're looking if if when contractors are stripping possible off of this plant, there's some marginally organic material left behind. And then the question is, is that suitable to be to remain in place for it to be? So we we might go to test that and find out that it's got three percent organics, it's not that it's going to leave it in place. So that that's generally when we get to testing. Otherwise, it's it's pretty plain and obvious looking at it visually. Um, but to meet this, you know, meet this standard, um, pH testing can be done, and general organics can be tested. Um, I think it would be a blending operation that would occur on the site. You take some the stockpile and you look at some data tool that's not on this one with the FDO mixture. Um, the amount of organics, the more organics, and it's going to drive the pH up. This is going to be a huge cost from the testing alone, not to mention everything else that's being built into this from a cost impact. And you'd be digging discrete excavations to put this material in. Yeah, that would be that skirt. And the, the compact, I mean, it's a lot of manual labor. We've got projects that you know, are on the edge of a VDOT road to make that have some of this stuff where we've been required to put a landscape up for a 
two to one. That's uh, problematic. It's going to be super loose. But when when would you, could you be at fault for not complying with this after installed? And if it became an issue and for some reason we haven't tested it, I, I don't really see that happening. This is more, I mean, this is a standard that we've seen kind of across the board. It's pretty much the soil planting standard. I think we're actually even, I believe Jay Nunn is on a plan this week. Yeah, so we got this exact same requirement on a plan this week without requesting it. So this is something we are seeing in the field. Um, we do need sure. to put something, and the reason behind this is we need something to make sure that the soil is suitable to planting, like just going out and planting a tree in, you know, highly compacted soil that's not suitable for the tree is going to limit the way that the tree can grow. Hey, that's the we're talking about impacts to residential developments and increasing the cost of those, those units. That's very concerning. The other thing I was, I mean, I think it, some of those pictures and what I've seen, it, it is sad when you're in a parking lot and you've got this tree that doesn't hardly leaf out. So I don't know, in my mind, there's some areas that it kind of makes a little more sense because your parking lots, you're doing a lot of earthwork anyway in general. And, but those perimeter buffer areas applying this intensive criteria, I'm not saying that one tree is better than another. I'm just saying that it seems like there's some areas where there's a more likelihood negative impact if we're not providing uh, good growing conditions. And, and to me, that's parking lots and I guess maybe street trees. But well, I would wonder like the impact of like if you're, if you're asking the data for a big hole for canopy trees. You know, if you had a, I mean, how would that impact? You know, are you potentially doing more harm than good if you're trying to add some canopy trees along, say, like a TCA or something? Right. right? You know, yeah. That, I'd be concerned about that too. That's exactly. There's no like exception for. Because if you're putting, you know, canopy trees next to, you know, immediately adjacent to a TCA, I mean, that's an area that's an undisturbed area. They've got places to go. Why are we requiring no. more disturbance? More disturbance. Yeah. Yeah, the spot on not very standard in the trees. I don't know. I just, yeah. what if you had put in a buffer and you had rock and extensions and you had all right now? Yeah, that's great. Yes, coordination. Look at anything. Could you could you go back to the picture? I think the pictures are very helpful, but not the the details from the plan where you have the green. And we and we can send this out as well after so that you can pick up. Maybe even as you develop the standard, a, a detail might be a you know, you've got yeah maybe a few more. Along with the, the residential unit. So, Drew, how, how do you, I mean, if you have to have three feet of 80% compaction, how do you physically do that? That situation, because you're going to. referring to making that excavation 
that, that's going to be a difficult explanation. But it's almost not possible. We'll it? survey and stake out the various radius corner points. <laughs> You're not actually the exact corner, not the packing corner, but right. Well, if you look like this is residential, right? So those are units right there. So simply when they develop and build that building, that's going to get compacted there, right? There's going to be equipment and materials for that to build that building. So, you know, and just talking with our team and some contractors and our land development group that does this work. Like, yeah, that would all have to be like physically excavated and new material brought in. And as you can see, like that's just one tree on one building. So your entire frontage is basically going to be tier legs to be removed and replaced. That's all. Um, and then it's now uncompacted. So like the lead walks, the stoops, like there's some concerns maybe for settlement in those areas. And then yeah, where do you put the dry utilities? Um, and if those have to get put placed behind, you know, in that area. Again, you're doing yeah. uncompacted soil. Mob water is not going to want their, their water service in an 80% impacted area. They have a standard too. So I guess like some of these sub, like suburban, you know, higher density residential areas, you're looking at probably putting in more of that silver cell structured material, which is, yeah. I can go through the cost, but, um, we did it at a very urban townhouse community in Fairfax. So again, the standard was much less than this. And we only did it on seven trees. Um, and that installation cost $70,000 for seven trees. And it wasn't the whole soil volume. And that didn't include things like um, the soil media, the disposal of the excavated material under drain. So that's another thing that is an issue with that unexcavated for soil volume now you've created an area where water will want to sit right so that may be compacted material underneath where does that water go so it wants to sit in here which then maybe will settle you know and create some drainage issues so then you're adding under drain pipes in all these areas too so that you can get the water out so there's some like practicality construction issues that we've seen of the cost that experience um, and I'm not the expert either I'm get, trying to gather information just to relay it um, so it is a very expensive um, undertaking um, and maybe I like I see the parking lots the more retail all impervious area but this also would impact yeah like these more dense residential areas and then we also looked at more of a single-family detached residential layout with that soil volume and again, your entire front yard is that unexcavated material when you have a front load driveway, the rest of that area would have to be uncompacted soil. Um, so then you're looking again at the silver cells. And those are, there's a lot of street trees in a residential neighborhood. So if you say, you know, 10,000 is 5,000, whatever that number is per tree, it just adds up. Because you have a lot of street trees in a residential development with thousands of feet of roadway. So in like a denser, compact DC area where you have high rise and some trees that need to go on in a really impervious area, like I, that makes sense. But when you're talking like a suburban residential area with lots of roadways, lots of street trees, there's area there. But when you start to add all these other environments, it just adds up. 
So I'm happy to share this. I didn't have time to like spend all this data because trying to gather it. I think but you're getting the flavor out. So, yeah. Just so I can make sure that I'm understanding. Your main issue is with digital action requirement. There's, there's others, but that is the biggest one. Less one of the issues. I would keep adding to that amount. Just the, yeah. the bridge you talked about, that whole area is compacted to begin with. So you're saying you're ripping it out. So there's the cost to remove that soil again that you just put in. But now you're bringing in, bringing in the dirt to fill in this area. And I, I gave you guys a map in my comments. One tree is four dump truck loops of this soil. Now, we're just asking for like organic matter soil. It's, I think it's a fairly common practice to amend the soil for landscape. We're not asking for anything like the soil being printed. It's mostly left. Yeah, okay. Well, not the not the internet. Be it not imported in, it's still being hauled around the site to get to this location. Yes. It could be tilled, it could be ripped. You know, there's other ways of this, this, this is not this is the last thing that anyone ever puts in the ground for their development, is the truth. So there there is no stockpile sitting right there that you're just putting in the hole here and putting it in my here. You're transporting it across the site. So you're hauling four dump trucks, loads of dirt. To this one location for one tree, and God knows how many trees a development has. And that's just for you know large decisions, your small decisions, you need two jump carpets. And I would assume a landscape contractor is going to be the one doing this. He's, he doesn't have, he's not using these big old dump trucks. He's, he's using his little flatbed rails on the side, and that's, that does not hold, you know, 10 to 14 getting dirt. This isn't an actual plan, is it? Would you hire the person that told you this is the diamond? <laughs> What's that? I mean, it just seems amazing that someone they laid out something cutter. similar, and that was what would be required. Yeah, like if you because you can't fit the twelve hundred cubic feet volume in that space, so then you have to do partial silver cells or the floating okay. sidewalks. Which are also expensive, you know, like three times just cost of a regular. I'd love to ask for the four feet came from for the separation between the areas. Because the zoning ordinance had it listed as three feet, just the way it used to be. The old ordinance, VDOT requires three feet. So why are we all of a sudden not going to four um, if the zoning ordinance clearly is stating three feet? Because of our jurisdiction of service from the point of that. This was a NRD request that they did not comply with the zoning ordinance. Like I thought, the whole point of this FSN exercise was going through just to get into compliance with the new zone. So this ask of four feet is an above and beyond ask. Yes, it is above and beyond the zoning ordinance. For that requirement is only for interior part of the lot landscape. That's that's only where only placing the zoning elements as a tree proximity requirement is to work material. You say that's where the only the three feet are? Only the three, yes, that's good. I mean that's the, that's and I think and it gets into little into semantics, but it's only when it says a minimum of three and this does not. And then I'll just say we ran this to the tree work group. Um, Tree work group really had no comment on the proximity. They said this is what we're seeing in other jurisdictions. We think that this is fine. We had a lot more 
a lot more conversation about the soil volume like we are here, but the tree work group, we did not get any comments or any requests to, to lower that when we ran into the work. Was, was there a chart that referenced the other jurisdictions for proximity? Mm -hmm. I thought there was some variability there. Or were they all four feet? Or there were others. Again, uh, uh, back to the point, the whole thing here is to match the zoning ordinance. So we're, now we're trying to, that, that's asking to create a conflict with the zoning ordinance. The whole goal here is to match it. The goal is to make sure that the trails are growing to the future. That's what the goal is. And the only way we can achieve that is by like, there's no other means and method. We feel like this is the staff's opinion is that that's what we meant certainly open to the but that was that's recommendation. But I think if we could just go back going back to the tree work, you know, there, there was varying opinions about a lot of this information um, actually, but I think the four but when it's not necessarily like not necessarily an issue but that's always like I personally was like I don't know how you come close to the solar body you don't have I think that was my perception of not necessarily Three feet, four feet, or so many times. The math physically doesn't even come close to Yeah, I, I gave a, an example of what six feet of a buffer strip versus a eight foot buffer strip would give you volume. And my understanding is you guys started at 15 and you saw that you can't get there with any four feet. That's why you came down to 1200. Compromise. So, yeah, we didn't start at 1500. Um, and we got feedback from the tree work group that some members did not want to come down, some members did, so we compromised at 1,200. Um, we had some outspoken members on the group that were very adamant they did not want to go less than that. So at that point in time, we said, okay, this is what we're going to take to the to the PRC because there were there were some members of the work group that said they absolutely would not support going any lower than that to the forward. So that's that's where we ended. A lot of example problems you got gave of the issues with sidewalks and the tree spilling out. I mean, none of those look like they were three feet away from the sidewalk. A lot of a lot closer. Uh, I think there was one example from the soil volume standpoint. There's only one tree that you alluded to a problem that was over six feet. So I, I hear you on some of the concerns, but. Um, from the example you provided, they were all like a foot or two feet from the sidewalk. So of course they're going to have problems. Yes, that's that's why we're proposing the extension. The examples you showed were don't meet today's standard, the current requirement is three. There is no requirement. There is no requirement for, for, for parking lots. That's it. It's nothing else. There's no other mechanism to in the tree for being any closer than unless you're here. I'm being selfish in the mind that I'm thinking of a tree being designed with the development plan has some kind of a parking lot or road with it. Um, those aren't street, street trees. Those, those requirements are not currently applied to street trees. So all those sidewalks, sidewalks that have ADA violations that are costing each always all this money, probably, those aren't covered by any requirements. And that's what we're trying to fix. Yeah. We do have, I'll just say, we have a lot. We have one in particular that we're working with, but now they can't even get insurance because 
your colleagues said what they use. And this is what we're trying to fix, is to make it where HOAs are able to, to move forward because they don't have these massive tree issues with their sidewalks. So that is and that is why we have proposed this. It's not because it's we pulled this out of the air. You know, we did we did see this issue, we've seen this issue over experiencing this with the citizens. So it looks like you can show different point of the three floods and what that looks like, the health of the tree. You're showing examples of DC, Alexandria, and PG counties. That's just a less than. That's what he was asking for. Do you have any examples of three dates? Validate. Can you show the committee? I saw a bunch about one foot, two foot. Uh, it's just a question. You have you come across those in the field? The three feet, something that might show where you're going. I, I hear what you're saying. Sorry. Yeah, I, I didn't catch that. Definitely. It's not where you just go. Um, no, I, I don't know that we have focused on an effect with proximity like that. Um, but I, I see what you're saying. I think the other thing that I would like to point out is that you know we're sort of focusing on street trees. Part, you know, street trees that are that are interfering with either the you know, or worried they're interfering with the road infrastructure, or they are, you know, um, you know, interfering with the sidewalk construction. Also concerned about these parking lot trees. There have been plenty, of, you know, that have been planted in these teeny tiny islands, and they're just there's not meat for the the canopy requirements. Okay, so why why aren't we focused on street trees and parking lot trees? Why are we trying to apply this to to all to all of the trees? You know, because I mean, there's, there's, you know, tree got planted from my parents' house. That thing's freaking huge. And I guarantee you didn't have any other back and so on. Nobody was testing whether there was one hand or better. I know there wasn't because play is like right underneath the facade. So. We have acceptance here. So, um, but we, we did look at not requiring this for buffers. Um, I think the concern was that there are trees that could be classified as a buffer that aren't really a buffer. And our concern was that we would somehow miss trees that needed this requirement. And every example we ran with a buffer um, was able to meet this requirement without um, just just based on the existing requirements. There was no additional space needed. I feel like this is going to come across as a diagnostic. I don't want it to, but. Like you know, you've, you've seen maybe you've seen a handful of examples. You had some some dots in the map, but Cloud County is you know huge, right? So you know, how are we not sure that, that what we're seeing is actually the exception? Right? So most of the time it's okay, and at least this is just a rare, you know these are just rare examples for this. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, we didn't. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I would point back to the and I just, I, I, mean, I, I live in Montana, the neighborhood that has trees that, in none of ours, I'm thinking, the sidewalks, and, you know, on my cul-de-sac and on my finger, like, my neighborhood is 20 years old, and I don't, I don't drive through my neighborhood and think, oh, gosh, we don't really have a great camp here. Like, I'm, I drive through my neighborhood and go, this is a mature neighborhood with a great tree community. So I'm just, you know, just trying to balance you know what I see is reality of when I drive around here, and, and not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't come up with a standard. And you know, I, I agree. Planting, you know, ex trying expecting a tree to grow 40 feet tall when you're planting it, you know, foot wide into soil, that's never going to happen. So you know, let's not do that. But 400 feet, uh, cubic feet of under the back of the soil with 
it's just for every single uh, largest industry, it's, it's just it seems like a we're like taking a you know a hammer to something what we should be taking a less blunt. It's actually not the benefit. One of the benefits of using native trees is that it's more um, acceptable of the local soils and is, is the need there to amend it if you're using natives. I don't think that's a really a, a accurate understanding. I think um, a lot of native trees evolved in deciduous forest, like an old growth deciduous forest with very rich organic soil. And comparing that to what they compacted urban soil is, is really far outside of whatever they would have evolved to thrive uh, in. I don't think it's really. I get a compacted urban thing where you're applying this basically. Well, that's any plant. Sure. Even in non compacted urban situations. I think that's probably the majority of the plants that we're seeing. I'm going to drift a little bit here. We only have a few minutes. <clears throat> the concept of 25% overlap. What is the science or rationale with that versus 30% or 50% or just because I don't understand it, but sure. Yeah, um, trees can share soil volume, how much they can share in the last is research has been debated. Um, generally, it's usually between 25% and 30%. It's kind of general consensus of how much. Uh, Trees been making so long. So that's how they grow forest, right? The right. You know the buffer three, the type three buffer three. I think you guys showed that that was so long. I'm doing that. Darren is trying to get a couple of The, the, the four-foot thing is not the concern. The concern is the depth of 80%. That's just not buildable. I think we can find a way to give flexibility to that. How do we build this curve, build this sidewalk? That needs 95% compaction. Have all these utilities cross it. That needs 95% compaction. Having this 80% compacted area just stop, stop physically buildable. How do we layer that or allow that to work so that really what you want is you don't want the islands. You want the continuous strips. Usually, what, what works for the the planting. But I think to me that's the big problem is that it's physically not buildable. Like this example we were looking at. Yeah. You can't build that uh, in reality because, again, Joe said we're going to run a wall up and down that building for six months. We have to excavate three feet, then put a sidewalk over it. They put a water service, a sewer service, power service. They have their own requirements. This this doesn't work with those now. I mean, that's the problem: is that that depth and that action percentage requirement. Thank you. How do you guys expect the solar volume like review and the 25% to be captured during the plan review? Uh, if you go back to one of the tables, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just it's just a calculation. You have your number of trees, you have your solar volume required, um, and then you have then we have this column here, it's a 25% reduction, right? You're not actually. We're not actually showing you where the overlap is. Like the graphics, right? No, no, you're not showing. You're not showing the overlap. I mean, if they're planted in the buffer, evenly distributed, they're going to be overlapping anyway. They still need. All right. If, if we do something about this soil volume and overlap, I mean, I think that needs to be a little bit more clear about how 
you want to present to me. Uh, in the FSM. Okay. okay. I think the FSM needs to be more clear about how to present how you guys want to see that fuller volume captured if we go down that path. Sure, sure. That's fair. Laura, can you get back to that? How much soil is enough in that XY? I'm pretty short of time here, so I'm going to have to say this is going to be our last question. But unfortunately, my staff has to be stop at five. We've got some people that have to go. Um, and what we can do is, if you want to send us written comments, then email. That would be great. Um, and then we can pick this up again at our next meeting. What are we going to do on this? This is the one, right? The one that you presented. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Okay. I will send Elizabeth had the last question. And, no, I just wanted to see this again. You talked about compromising on 1,200. How much of the tree canopy is lost? Potential tree canopy is lost if you pull it back to 1,200. If you went down to 1,000, how much more of that tree canopy do you use? I was trying to get that. And my last question on comes is why three feet down? I mean, obviously, if you went three and a half feet down, you pull in the uh, it's the surface area, why three feet? Or is that how far the roots? Sure. Yeah, three, three feet, the three foot depth is yeah. considered usable soil for the tree in terms of oxygen and water and mm -hmm. nutrient uptake. And so that's the thing, it's the standard measure soil volume. Energy going for the, still all the pages, great. It's not really usable space to the tree at that point. Fairfax uses it four foot. Thank you all. Uh, this has been a great discussion. Yeah. Appreciate the feedback. Absolutely. We're going to take it back and talk a little bit. If you want to send information out to your industry folks, mull it over, um, and then just get a, you want to send us written comments, that would be great. That helps us kind of look at what we're doing and figure out, you know, if there's anywhere for us to move or change or compromise and what we can do to kind of meet you guys um, in the middle. So, uh, yeah, that's it. If you want to send us comments, that'd be great. We'll discuss it again at our next meeting. Before we close, administratively, how do we, where should we focus, channelize those comments? The, Laura? Yes. Okay. Just Laura. to be clear, because we don't want them going all over to staff and <laughs> and don't send them to, you know, your neighbor something inside of you here. Send them to Laura, she'll get them to staff. And, yeah. Yes. All right. Thank you, everyone. Staff, committee. Uh, this is, I think, this is a very productive conversation. Thank you. We're, we're adjourned.